Thank you for that reception. <laughs> so I'm not used to having to hold the mic. I got this little side thing, and, and uh, he said, you have to hold that. I was like, rats, because I use my, my phone as my Bible. I'm not checking my apps. I'm not just seeing, you know, if anybody texted me during the service. So while I'm doing that, that's, that's what I'm after. I want to, King David, he goes to go get the Ark of the Covenant. It's at Obed-Edom's house. Everything's gone wrong, and, and the Ark's there. And the first time he tries to get it, you know, he screws up royally, and they put it on a cart, and Uzzah reaches out, and, it, and it's, it, it's, it's kind of stumbling, and he touches it, and God strikes him down, and the whole thing is so frightening that they just drop it all, and they put it at Obed-Edom's house. But years later, or, or months later, Dave's like, wow, his, his, his house is being blessed. I'm going to go back. I'm going to get that ark. But God, how do I do it? Now he does it right. He consults God. How do you want this done? And the way that God speaks to his heart to do it is, first, go back, read the word, find out what you're supposed to do. You're supposed to put it on poles, not touch the thing. That would have been smart. And so now they got on poles, and the thing's being carried. But they have six miles to travel to get back to Jerusalem, to get back to the holy city. It's, it's not like a quick journey. They take six steps, and then they sacrifice a bull. And they all pray, and they worship, and play music. And then they take six more steps, and they do this for six miles. It was quite a trip. I'm not going to do that to you this morning. That's not the plan. But I do want to slowly move through a scripture and reveal what it's really, really about. Because you could read it and completely miss it. We do it all the time. You kind of blaze through something. and don't slow down enough to see what's really being said. So I want to slow down. Because we're going to look at something, you know, the Good Samaritan. It's in Luke 10, and we're going to read that first. We're going to pray first. Uh, I want to put the poles in the ark. Let's do that. Let's pray first, then we'll read it. Lord Jesus, you are so magnificent. You're so beautiful. You're so powerful. And your word, your word is the person that you are. It's not a book. It's the living word that was made flesh. Jesus, you are the word. Every time we read the word, we're having a conversation with you. Every time two or more of us are gathered in your presence, there you are in the midst. You love to be here with us. So you're here. And we want to honor you. You're who we're honoring. We want the word spoken to be from your Holy Spirit. We don't want anything spoken that's not from you. Let it be from you. So we're going to start with your word. And just like David taking a few steps, six steps, He's got six miles to go, but he's not going to rush. Six steps, and then we worship. We want to pray first and then slowly work our way through this chapter and see what you have to say. Praise you, living God. Would you reveal it to us? Amen. This is what it says. This is Luke chapter 10. I'm in verse 25. I thought it was so cool that Ben, by the way, did chapter 9 last week. I thought, wow, okay, I'm on the right track. I was planning on doing chapter 10, so that's just pretty cool. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what's written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind, and love your neighbors yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do that, and you'll live. But he wanted to justify himself, so he asked Jesus, 
well, who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. And they stripped him of his clothes. They beat him and went away and left him half dead. A priest happened to be going down that same road. And when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And so to a Levite, when he came to the place, saw him, the half-dead man, he passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. And he went to him, and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he put the man on his own donkey and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii, And gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. So which of these three, Jesus is asking now, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? And the expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. Jesus told him, well, then go and do likewise. All right, so you read it. And your first initial reaction is, oh, I should be kinder. Like, the next time I see the guy with a sign, don't pull into the other lane. Because I don't want to be, like, too close. Like, maybe I should, you know, if someone's broken down, just wave at them going by. Because I'm not a mechanic. <laughs> you know? Like, maybe, maybe that's what this is about. Really looking for someone else's needs. And, of course, like, don't miss it. That's part of it. But this is so... So, so deep. The question is deep. The response is deeper. So first let me introduce the players in this parable. Because what's going on is the expert in the law has been reading the word. He's an expert in the law. He's a lawyer. He's been reading the word, and he understands that in that word it says he's supposed to be able to get eternal life, and he wants to figure out how that is. This is not one of those questions that's designed to trap Jesus. I don't believe it is. If he was trying to trap Jesus, he would have asked the questions like, hey, are we supposed to pay taxes? Like the Pharisees. Are we supposed to pay taxes to Rome? They're trying to get him to say, no, you shouldn't pay taxes, and then they'll come and kill him. The Sadducees, hey, there's this woman, and she marries this guy. He's got six brothers. The first guy dies. The next guy marries her. He dies. The next guy marries her. He dies. The next guy, and so on, so on. They all die. My question would be, why marry that woman? (laughs) But they all die. And so the question becomes, who, who, whose wife is she in heaven? And they're trying, because the Sadducees don't believe in a resurrection. So they're trying to trap him again, trying to get him to, trying to twist his words, trying to make him um, look like he's, he's not the son of God, that he doesn't have a ministry that can be respected. They're trying to trap him. This guy's not like that. He hasn't brought a woman caught in adultery. Hey, should we kill her? And you, you, the guy's not there. Only the woman. It's obviously a setup. They brought the woman out. They, they want to they hit her with stones. You say, hey, the woman without... Sin, cast first stone. These are all questions designed to trap him. This one's not. The man's read the word. He's an expert in it, and he understands, I should be able to access eternal life. I've spent my whole life doing this, but I don't think I have it. He's like the the rich young ruler who runs up and gets on his knees before Jesus, like, I don't have it. 
He said, well, follow the commands. He's like, I did all that. It's not working. Well, sell all you have and then come follow me, revealing the idol. And the guy's like, oh, that I don't want to do. And he goes away sad. Interestingly, this guy does not go away. Jesus tells a story. He hangs out to the end. He wants to know how to live forever. He, the scripture says that, yes, he is testing Jesus. But he's not testing him to see if he's smart. He's already been walking all around Galilee, Galilee Nazareth, Jerusalem, healing people, walking on water, feeding 5,000 people with just you know, a, a happy meal. And, and, and everybody's like, what? This guy's awesome. Is, is he Elijah? Is he the prophet? Is he, is he the Messiah? And so this guy wants to know, if this guy's all this, I'm going to test him. How do I get eternal life? Now here's the players that are in Jesus' response, his parable. You've, you've got the half-dead man. You've got the robber, the priest, and the Levite, the good Samaritan, the innkeeper, and then the donkey. He's there. I mean, I mentioned him. Listen, the answer, Jesus' answer to the question is designed to answer his question. How do I get eternal life? And Jesus, the parable is pointed. He's picked everything he's picked for a reason. Jesus first, though, starts very respectfully. Hey, how do you read it? You're an expert in the law. What do you see? He said, well, I imagine it's love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. I'm assuming that's the way to get to heaven. And Jesus is like, right, great job, done. And that should be like, if I was standing with Jesus in front of a crowd of people, if Jesus came up on the stage, he asked me a question, like the Q&A thing after, and I answer right. And he's like, that's right. I'd be like, yes. I answered right in front of a crowd of people. <laughs> yeah, I got Jesus' correct answer. He said, yeah, what's the question? It's this. Yeah, that's good. Do that. Woo! But this guy's not like that. He, he, he's like, ooh, I was afraid that I was right. Have you ever been afraid you were right? You ever get a diagnosis coming? You're not really quite sure. You're like, but I think I know what it is, and you don't want to be right? Have you ever had your car not running and you, you know that sound? You're like, I think it's probably the timing belt and I'm really worried that it is. And it is. And you were right and you're straight on the side of the road. You know, sometimes you don't want to be right. He doesn't want to be right. Because when the guy says, it, well, it's these, these two things. And Jesus says, you're right. He's like, dang it. Because I can't do either one of those things. So therefore, I'm not going to heaven, I guess. Because I can't love my neighbor as myself. People, think of your neighbor right now. Mm-hmm. You love that guy like you? You love that guy like you love yourself? Can that guy walk into your house and drive your car? Get in your garage, take your wallet, go get some food? I mean, you love him like you, you just hand it over. No, we're not that good at this. Love your neighbor as yourself. If my neighbor's bills aren't paid, I'm paying mine first. <laughs> and then with the extra, I'm going to help him. You know, that's how we do it all the time. There's been a lot of times I've done it differently, but that was by God's grace. God's 
Holy Spirit helps us make decisions that are tougher than our flesh wants to make, but we don't do it on our own well at all. And this man doesn't have access to that yet. So he understands, I'm not going to make it. If that's the answer, then if I'm right, then man, am I wrong. And so here starts the parable. The five players. I want to tell you that what Jesus is doing is answering the man's question, how to live forever. You want to know how to live forever? I'll tell you how. And then he gives him this parable. He's giving him a prophecy of himself and what Jesus is going to do to purchase salvation for everyone and how he's going to make sin erased for those that would choose him. Look what, here's the players. So you understand the parable, so you get to play. So you, know, you, you walk into a play and they give you the, here's the players, here's who's playing who. I'm going to give you the actors. I'm going to let you know who's playing them. The man, the half-dead man, that's mankind without Jesus. Pre and post cross. Man without Jesus Christ is the half-dead man. I'll show you why in a second. He's just half-dead. Uh, the princess bride would call him mostly dead. He's that. Okay, so the robber, that's Satan. Pretty easy to follow. He only comes to steal, lie, and destroy. So, we, you know, we got scripturally a, a lock on him. The priest and the Levite. Well, that's any priest and Levite under the old covenant before Jesus made everything new. That's who they are. The Good Samaritan, that's Jesus. The Good Samaritan's Jesus. Follow me, you'll see why. The innkeeper. Like, who cares? Like, like this much in the movie. You know? It's God. Finally, the donkey. He just plays himself. He just, he huh? He, that's who he is. Okay, so he's not a big role, not a big player, but you'll see why in just a second. It actually kind of matters. It matters a little. So we're going to go verse by verse. And let's start with the first one. On one occasion, an expert in the law stands up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asks, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And we know that he's not trying to test him. He's petrified. He's petrified that he's right, that he won't make it. Uh, and Jesus kindly asks him his opinion. He gives it. Mm, that's a problem. I know I can't do it. If I asked Michael Jordan, I was watching you, and you jumped from the foul line and dunked it. How? I've been playing basketball my whole life. I don't get that. Like, I, 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 couldn't, I couldn't exercise enough, practice enough to pull that off. What did you do? And he said, well, what did it look like to you? Well, you started from one corner of the court, and you grabbed the basketball like it was a grapefruit, and then you ran all the way across the court as fast as you could go, and you took off before you reached the foul line and then sailed through the air like an eagle with bicycle kicks, and then you just, like, holding it like Statue of Liberty, boom! And then landed so elegantly, he's like, yeah, right, do that. <laughs> That's what it's like when you ask Jesus, so i got to love the Lord God with all my heart, soul, and mind, and strength, and love them in my neighbor's family? Yeah, do that, and you'll have eternal life. What if you can't? I couldn't on the ground jump from the foul line to the goal. 
I can't make that distance if that was just flat. So let's take a look. The man decides he's a lawyer. He needs to justify himself. If you're a lawyer and you realize that the case is closed and you're going to lose, you know your guy's guilty, then you look for a loophole. You look for something that might still, through some technicality, still get you into heaven, even though you know you don't deserve it. So he's like, okay, well, uh, who's my neighbor? The guy, they didn't have Mr. Rogers back then. So it's, the question's more legit than you might think. And so he, who's my neighbor? Like, like you know, can you define that? Let's, let's, and he's not, try, he's not stupid. He doesn't know. What he's trying to do is really narrow the scope of what is required of him in case there's a loophole that he can still get into heaven. We do it all the time. We find things in the word like, well, I can't do that. Can't do that. Oh, that I can do. I'm not bad at that. Oh, wow. That's, no, that's not going to happen. If that was the list and that's how we made it, we are in trouble. So he tries to justify himself. Who's my neighbor? And Jesus begins the prophecy. In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. When he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. I just look at what the scripture says. Why did Jesus pick these things? Every word of God is saturated with God. So it's not like he's just dancing around some topic and finally makes some big point. The whole thing is deep. Everything's deep. So he's going down from Jerusalem to Jericho. So understand, he's going from the city that is God's city. In Revelations 21 uh, two, you, and 3, you find this new Jerusalem coming out of heaven. And, and, and it's like where we're going to live forever. It, it's this beautiful picture. It said it's the bride of Christ. It's us. It's those that believed in Christ being dressed up in holiness and then getting to live with him forever. That's the promise we have, people. In Jesus Christ, that's the promise we have. Sins erased, white like a bride, going to be with a Savior that you've loved with all your heart, and now you have eternity with him? Like, you'll never cry again, you'll never hurt again, you'll never panic again, you'll never have anxiety again? Take those pills and toss them. You don't need them. You won't hurt? I'm 52. I wake up hurting. Just roll out of bed. What'd you do? <laughs> Rolled out of bed. That's all. That's our promise. He's going from Jerusalem to Jericho. You know what Jericho is? It's the cursed city. It was the very, you know, like people going into woods and they're going to they're gonna clear the land because they're putting in like a supermarket and they put all these X's, red X's on trees that they're chopping. Jericho was the first red X. They're in the promised land. They're not supposed to be there. God's paving this for a whole new act. All these sins, all these idols, all this burning your children in the fire. No, we're going to bring in a people that I'm going to teach how to live correctly, how to follow me, and then, and then, and then invite others to follow me. So I'm going to destroy all this sin because the sin is destroying them. So they go into Jericho, they go around seven times, the walls, the whole thing crumbles and crashes down. Everything gets destroyed except for Rahab, the prostitute, and her family because she was respecting who God was before he even got there. So now it's destroyed, and Joshua looks back at all the rubble and all the trash heap and goes, you know what? I feel the, the, the Spirit of God telling me, 
I'm going to curse this. Whoever rebuilds that city will do so at the cost of their oldest child when he sets its foundation. And he'll also lose his youngest child when he sets up its gates. Guess when they rebuild it? In Ahab's time. Could there have been a worse king? No. Who considered it trivial to commit the sins ahead of him that all the kings ahead of him had committed in Israel. He considered it trivial. He, brand new ways of sinning he invented. And during his time, Jericho gets rebuilt. A guy named Hiel sets his foundation. His first son gets killed. Almost finishes the job. He's setting up the gates. His youngest son dies. This is centuries later, but God doesn't forget. And Jesus is the same yesterday and today and forever. So that word that was spoken by the power of God so many centuries earlier is still valid. That's why Uzzah shouldn't have touched that ark. That's why Heil shouldn't have rebuilt Jericho. When God destroys a Jericho in your life, don't start building it back up again. So here goes this man. He's going from the blessed city to the cursed city. He's going to a place that God put him to find out about God, and now he's like, no, I don't want it. I'm going to go to that cursed city. That looks better to me. I'm going to go where God isn't instead of where God is. It's done all the time. And what happens? He gets waylaid. He gets beat up. He gets robbed. And, and, and he's laying there naked, bleeding, and half dead. Because that's what Satan's done to him. Satan's got a hold of him. He's crushed him. He's destroyed his hopes. The guy's just sitting there battered on the side of the road, and we see it all the time. And you might have been there, and you might have felt it. You can be on your bed at night and be this guy in a real nice house. You can be at Disney and be this guy because you can be all messed up inside and smiling and nobody even knows, and you're destroyed. When you're on your way to Jericho, as far from God as you can get, Satan can have a field day with your life. And a field day for him is what's bad for you. So, he gets attacked, he gets robbed, he gets beaten, and he's lying there, half dead. Listen, listen to the scripture. This is Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. As for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live when you followed the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who's now at work in those who are disobedient. As for you, you were dead in the way you used to live. Do you hear it? You're the dead living without Jesus. What's inside of you is dead. The spirit inside of you is not alive like it could be. You're missing the life that's truly life that's only found in Jesus Christ. It's only found in one place. You try anything you want. I've tried other things. Try anything you want. You won't find it in another place. It's only in Jesus it's only there. You cannot find it anywhere else. This man's been looking other places, and it beat him up, and he's lying there beat. And who comes along? Oh, well, a priest. Look at the next scripture. A priest happened to be going down the same road. When we saw the man, he passed by on the other side. And the Levite's coming down, same road. Sees him, oh, no, not today. 
got some music to play. He's on the other side. Understand that there's a reason that they're passing by on the other side. Listen to the verbiage. Again, watch the wording. They're coming down the same road. They're coming down the same road. Priest arrives at the beat-up man. Well, I don't want to be like that guy. I'm just going to keep marching to Jericho. Levite does the same thing. By the way, all the priests are from the Levites. You know the best acknowledgement that one of these priests got, one of these Levitical priests? You follow, follow, the, follow the tribe all the way up from Aaron forward. And you, get it, you land at a guy that Jesus himself says, of men born of women, there's no one better than that one. It's John the Baptist. Zechariah and Elizabeth both trace their ancestry back to Aaron. They're, it's the Levitical tribe. And so now you've got John the Baptist. And Jesus says, no one born of men. Greater than that guy. Of course, he was least in the kingdom of heaven is bigger than him. But, but there's no one born of men greater than him. He gets an awesome acknowledgement. It's like getting that right answer with Jesus. Wow. But what does John the Baptist say? He says, people, there's one coming after me whose sandals I can't even untie. There's one coming after me that I must become less and he must become great. Me, I keep becoming less and less and, and my joy is in that. I want to be less and less. I want him to be greater. If he's greater, things go greater for me. If he's greater in my life, I don't end up in Jericho or on the way. I need him greater. I need to be less. He's teaching people this. He says that. He said, there's one other coming after me. Well, where's he coming after him? On this same road. Here comes Jesus down the same road. What's this road? He is himself a man. God. God himself, who doesn't even know how to die, who never could die, who's only been alive. He's been alive for all eternity. He doesn't even know how to die. Becomes man. Vulnerable and killable. For us. To save us. To wear all the sinful flesh that we wear to be grafted right to it, but not sin, and then die is the perfect sacrifice because that was the other thing John kept saying. That's the Lamb of God. Whoa, 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 that's the Lamb of God. I don't even know how anybody understood what he was talking about. That's the Lamb of God. They're looking for a revolution. They're looking to crush Rome. They're looking for the Messiah to come and destroy their enemies, and he's gonna, but not the way they expect. That's the Lamb of God. That's the perfect sacrifice. That's the one in whom nothing is false. There is no deceit. Nothing's wrong. That's the Lamb of God. That's the one that'll save everybody from their sins. That's the one. So, I just want to make a, a real point about the priest and the Levite. They're the old covenant priest and Levite. 
Why do they walk on the other side when they see the broken man? They're coming down the same road. They got the same kind of sin. They got to they sacrifice bulls, sheep, uh, goats, all of that for themselves as well as the people that they're trying to help because they're all sinners. So here we go. Hebrews chapter 7, verses 18 and 19 says, The former regulation, the priests and the Levites making sacrifices, it's set aside because it was weak and useless. For the law made nothing perfect, and a better hope is introduced by which we can draw near to God. Listen a little further. Hebrews chapter 10 says it even more clearly. The law, it's only a shadow of the things that are coming, not the realities themselves. For this reason, it can never, by the same sacrifices repeated endlessly year after year, make perfect those who draw near to worship. Otherwise, would they not have stopped offering them? You don't keep bringing a goat if you stopped sitting. If you were made perfect, you don't have to keep doing it. Or if someone who was perfect died in your stead. For the worshipers, they would have been cleansed once and for all. They would no longer have felt guilty for their sins. By the way, Christian, neither should you. Guilt is a useless emotion. You shouldn't be going back through your history. Satan does that. Satan takes notes so he can bring it back up to you and make you feel horrible about what you did and didn't do, where you failed, how you'll probably fail again because he's tracking you. Jesus says, you're my child. You're part of the bride of Christ. I love you. I've been tracking you because I've come to earth to die in your stead. I love you like that. I took all the sins, everything you did wrong, I dumped it in the ocean. I'll never look at it again. So, so why are you? Why are you picking it up, looking at it like a photo album? Oh, remember that time when I sinned like that? Yeah, that was pretty bad. I feel bad about that. Oh, I hurt that person. Why go through it? Why look at that? Other than just to remind yourself how awesome God is. So, Let's get to where we're going. Jesus is coming down the road. Here's the next verse. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came where the man was. And when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him, he bandaged his wounds, and he poured on oil and wine. The Samaritan is Jesus. Why would he use a Samaritan? Why would he use the, the half-breed Samaritan, the one they all despise, the one they look down at, the one they say, he's not even a real Jew. He's a Samaritan. Woo! Amen! John, who knows the word. Okay, don't keep doing that, though. You're going to take my thunder. <laughs> I'm totally playing, John. I love you. I walked in and found you when you arrived. You know that. You good? <laughs> All right. So, the Samaritan is Jesus. He picks a Samaritan because the Samaritan is despised. John would tell you, it's from Isaiah 53, in a prophecy about Christ, 800 years before his birth. He was despised and rejected by mankind, a man of suffering and familiar with pain, like one from whom people hide their faces, he was despised, and we held him in low esteem. John 1.11 will tell you the same thing. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. A Samaritan is a great description of him 
in his own prophecy. But he's not through. He comes to where the man is. You hearing the word? You hearing what it says? He comes to the man. I saw this commercial once, and there's all these people running in one direction, the direction I would be running. There's an explosion over here, and they're all running away from it. And there's bullets flying, and they're running this direction. I would be with them. But there's these Marines, and they're running at it. Sorry, I'd be going the other way, but I'm proud of you. They're, <laughs> they're running at it. They're running towards the explosion, towards the chaos. That's your Savior. He runs towards the chaos. He shoots arrows of grace right to the middle of your confusion and your brokenness and your hurt. He comes to you. He died for us while we were yet sinners. We weren't looking for him. He's on the cross dying, gasping for breath with a crown of thorns. Forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. I came here to save them. I'll finish this race. He runs to the chaos. He runs to your chaos. He runs to your chaos. He runs to my chaos. That's how he got a hold of me. I was an idiot walking in the wrong direction. I was on my way to Jericho. He comes to the man. But look what he does. He pours on oil and wine. He comes to the man, and he bandages him, and he pours on oil and wine. Oil, wherever you find it in the Scripture, is symbolic of the Holy Spirit. It's all through the temple. Uh, they would anoint people with oil. David gets anointed by Samuel as a child to, to be the next king. Flask of oil. Pfft. Jesus said, I am anointed to preach the good news to the poor. The anointing of oil is the Holy Spirit. It's always designed to be that. And we know what the wine is. We took it this morning. The wine is the blood of Christ that purges us of all sin. The wine is the blood that Jesus shed for us. It purges us of sin. That's what the wine is. You want to get away from Jericho? Eat the bread and drink the wine. Take what Jesus has freely offered. Why live in the old covenant of trying to earn your way to heaven? Why that? Why keep bringing sacrifices to get in? We don't make it anyway. We're not even close. How about we just accept what Jesus has done for us and then just draw close to him? The scripture says the more you behold him, the more you become like him. Just spend time with him. Shut it all down. Stop binging Netflix for just like 5, 10, 15 minutes. You know, the office can wait. Just, just, just hover there in his presence. Get up earlier than you normally would. Just hover in his presence. God, would you speak to me? Read something in his word. Crack that thing. It's loaded. It's loaded. It's, a, it's, 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 it's loaded. We, we, we're only going six steps and then we're pausing because we've got to cover everything that's there. He pours on oil and wine, and bandages the man's wounds. Understand this. Our Jesus is a liberal giver. He, he pours on the Holy Spirit. You ask him to, he'll pour it on. So, so Christian, I'm speaking to you. 
if your life is harsh and you're feeling like, how did I get into Jericho? How did I get beat up? Isn't it supposed to go smoothly all the time? No. But if things are rough, ask him to pour on his Holy Spirit. Paul from prison isn't asking for a way out. He keeps asking Jesus for more of his Holy Spirit. Because it changes everything. And, and our God will pour it out. He poured out his own blood, the wine. He pours it on you, erasing the sin. Okay. I want to take this just a little bit further. He bandages the man. Listen to this. You know, if you, if you go back to Isaiah 53 again, same prophecy. Isaiah 53, 5. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds are we healed. He bandages. Now this one's interesting. And then he put the man on his own donkey. The donkey. If I was using a donkey in this play, I definitely would be using Shrek's. Because it would be distracting. Yes, but I mean, that's just a great donkey. Uh, but, you know, we, we get to the donkey. Why? Why do we put this in here? Jesus goes to Bethlehem in his mom's tummy on a donkey to be born into the world. Jesus goes to Jerusalem to die, but also to be declared king on a donkey in sinful flesh, but having not sinned. The God of all heaven decided to become vulnerable man and wear flesh and then put that on the donkey that was made for a king. Jesus said to his disciples, hey, go into Jerusalem. There's a donkey waiting for the king. The people, if they ask you about it, say, the Lord has need of it. They know. I've already spoken to them. And so they do. Someone asks. They say, the Lord has need of it. Oh, okay, yeah, take it. We've been, we've been kind of tying it there for that. We just didn't want you to take it for something else. You know, is that the Shrek donkey? You know, if that's, you know, for auditions, don't take it. So the donkey goes. Jesus rides into Jerusalem on a donkey. He takes broken man and puts it on his own donkey to ride into Jerusalem. Do you see? Read Philippians 2, 6 through 8. Jesus, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature and likeness of man. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Hebrews 2, since the children have flesh and blood, he too shared their humanity that by his death he might break the power of him who had the power of death, and that's the devil. That's our God. That's Jesus. He rode in on a donkey in flesh, put the man on his own donkey. Now I'm going to finish this off. Did someone actually just start to dim the lights? I just looked down. <laughs> Did I go too long? All right, my bad. Here we go. This is the real kicker. The amazing finale to this parable. He brought him, the, the, the half-dead man, he brings him to an inn and he, to take care of him. And the next day, he took out two denarii and he gave them to the innkeeper and says, look after him. 
he said. And when I return, I'll reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. So Jesus takes out two coins, two denarii. A denarius is a day's wage for a laborer. It's a day's wage. Everybody understands that's a day's wage. So he takes out two of them. Now, if, if you ever stay at a hotel, the rules, get out by 11 or pay another day. Sometimes they charge you for another day, but you still got to leave because someone else is coming in that room. <laughs> you know, that one's a real bummer. You know, the kids weren't fast enough. <laughs> You're on your way out. You know, it's noon. Pay for another day. Well, can we stay another day? No. Two denarii, denarii are for two days. So you, you, you check in at, what, 4 p.m. usually? You know, hotels are cheap that way. They don't give you that whole day. You check in at 4, and you got to check out 11 the next day. Jesus dies on the cross Friday night, Friday afternoon. And he's in the grave, and he stays there all Saturday, but early Sunday morning, he checks out. So by hotel standards, he's only been there two. By Jewish standards, it's been three, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. But by hotel standards to an inn, he owes two denarii. So he pays the two denarii to the innkeeper. Who is the only person that God would be, subser uh, that Jesus rather would be, subs I gave the answer. <laughs> Dang. Well, it wasn't you, John. You can feel good about that. You knew where I was going. Who's the only person that Jesus would actually ask, hey, could you do this? To everybody else, he's like, you know, I'm God. But God is the Father. So he's like, would you watch over them? I've come here to die for him, but I'm going to be kind of indisposed for the next two days. So here's two denarii. But when I come back, I'll pay back everything he owes. I'll reimburse you for it all. Isn't that awesome? I get chills. Thank you, Jesus. Jesus is talking about his death, his resurrection. The forgiveness that he brought all of mankind. The innkeeper's his dad. The half-dead man is mankind. But he does this beautiful, I have more to tell you, but I'm going to have to stop because I want to make sure we get everything in. He has this beautiful nod to the Holy Spirit. Because the expert in the law is listening to this whole thing and missing it all. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Yup. He doesn't know. So I should be nicer to people? Like he's missing the whole boat. He's like, no, no, I'm answering your question. This is how you can live forever. I'm going to do it for you. You just have to accept that. I'm going to erase your sins. You don't have to anymore. I'm going to do it. I'll do it on the cross. But then I'm going to send this helper, this Holy Spirit, God inside of you. God's going to live inside of you. You just got to ask him. God's going to live inside of you, and you can start to do what Jesus says. He says to the man, well, who, had, who uh, helped the neighbor? He's like the guy that had mercy on him. He can't even get himself to say Samaritan. You know, if it had been the Levite of the priest, I mean, Levite of the priest, it had been, oh, it was the priest. It was the Levite. But because it's the Samaritan, he goes, oh, the guy that had mercy on him. Doesn't even mention him by name. Despised. But... <laughs> Jesus says, right, now go and do likewise. 
You can't do like God unless God lives in you. You can't do what God does unless God lives here. But if he does, you can. Do you think it was in Peter's skill set to stand on water? Do you think all it had to do was just be drawn out of him? Do you think it was in the apostles' skill set to cast out demons and heal people? They learned how to do that, went off to college. God was with them. God was in them. They had been saved, and they beheld him, and they became more like him. You people want some soup, don't you? <laughs> we need to make sure that we get there. But I do need this. I know we're over. Am I too far over, or can I still do the worship team? Bring up the worship team. I'm going to ask you to just do this, please. There's no point. If you are like, hey, I don't know what that guy's talking about, but I want it. Because I'm lying by Jericho, and I'm feeling beat up, and I'm sick of feeling guilty about my past. I'm sick of feeling like I just die, and that's it. I'm sick of this. You're here for a reason. You didn't just come here just listen to something. You're here for a reason. So if you are and you're like, what is that? It's Jesus. It's just Jesus. I'm not going to do some crazy. You're not going to come up here and I'm not going to make you dance in front of everybody or do some weird thing, put a wreath on your head. Uh, you know, if you've never been to church, I don't even know. What's, what's, what do we do? You just invite him in. There's no special words. You just say, Jesus, I need you. I get it. Okay, I need you. For the love of God, help me. I don't want to be like this anymore. I don't want to fight like this anymore. I love this anxiety and pressure to come off of me. And you take it. You take it. You know? You take it. But secondly, if you are in a position where you're like, you know what? I am walking with God. I, I, I know he's real. I get it. I totally understand. But I still feel like the guy in Jericho. You're not alone. If you walk into church, you see people with their hands raised and smiling and everything, and you're not one of them, you're not by yourself. You're not. We all hurt. This walk is hard. It's a whole lot harder without him. But it's hard. Life is tough. It throws curveballs that are just like you're getting steamrolled. Sometimes things happen we have no explanation for, but God's on his throne. God is in love with you, and he wants to help. So ask for more of his Holy Spirit. It's that simple. I need more of your Holy Spirit. But you got to go after it. You know? It's not like it depends on you. It does. It totally depends on him. If you wanted a certain education, you wanted to go to a certain college, you, you got to go there. Even if you had a full boat scholarship, here's a full boat scholarship, but you're still going to go. No, I just want you to, like Matrix, just pop it in my head. We need this God and we need more of his Holy Spirit. So I'm just going to say, so, so they're going to play a little bit. And just for a second, just for a second, I'm going to ask you to do this too. Please, if you're here and you're like, oh, this is that part where the people go up. I'm going to leave. I'll probably beat the rush. You're part of the body that's in here. 
You're part of the body that's in here. So whenever anyone is here and they give an altar call or they say, hey, come on up and get prayed for, don't walk out. Put a hand out there yourself. Pray for them. If they came up, it's because they're hurting. Or it's because they want to know who Jesus is. Or maybe they just want to tell some awesome thing that God did. Great. That's, that's called a testimony. But don't walk out. Soup's there. Soup's on. They're keeping it warm. You know, there's no football right now. Might be a basketball fan like me, but those games are tonight. Let's just hang for just a second in it and just listen to the wonderful worship. And if God's moving on your heart, look, I need that. I need that Jesus. I don't have him. Or I need more of the Holy Spirit. Would you come up? I'm just going to pray over you.